0: Thank you, Dave, ah, the Proverbs 31 woman. She's such an overachiever, I don't really like her. Anyway, if I was to think back to the happiest time in my life, it would be uh, a few weeks in um, early December of 2007. Um, it was not my honeymoon, although that was clearly a wonderful time also. That's yeah, second, second. Uh, I remember this time so fondly, with such longing. I was heavily pregnant, um, but it was my first child, and so like, my body was still like, holding it together. But I was on maternity leave. I'd worked up until about 38 weeks, and um, we are on maternity leave, and I could do whatever I wanted. Maternity leave before your baby comes is the best time Ever. And Ruby was late, so I had even, this, even more time. And I wanted to, it was a sunny day. Oh, my God, my God, it looked amazing. I did whatever I wanted. But one day it just rained, and I thought, I'm just going to stay in bed. Read a whole book in a day. Hadn't done that for years. It was the best. And until the 19th of December, about 10 p.m. at night, this tiny tyrant entered my world. And she was beautiful. Although you look back at the photos now and you're like, you kind of look a bit weird. But in your eyes, they are beautiful. They do. They look like old men. Every newborn baby looks like an old man. But she she entered my world and she became the center of my world. Yeah? A newborn baby is just such a time suck. Like, they're like a black hole. And... Everything circles around it and falls into it. And it's one it's wonderful. It's wonderful, Nat. And if you're thinking about having a baby, you should totally have a baby. But the people with a recent memory of having a newborn, yeah. It's totally what it's like. And it is it's a challenging character forming time because you have to submit your desires to serve this child. In the middle of the night, you do not feel like getting up, but you have to. You do not feel like making a bottle or trying to feed or whatever you're doing. You do not feel like doing that. That is not something you want to do. And you look on on your Instagram and people are like out, (laughs) dressed, (laughs) with their hair done, going and doing things. And you are at home wearing the same clothes and like it's... A baby teaches you how to serve. They teach you how to serve. And it, whether or not you've had children or not, um, it's the same thing in a lot of relationships. You've got to submit your desires for someone else. I remember a, um, an experience. Dave and I would have been married for a couple of years and we were at church in Dunedin and I was talking with a friend after the service and she said to me, oh, hey, um, we're going out, for, some of us are going out for lunch after to wherever. Do you want to come? And I said to her, oh, Rachel, that'd be great. Um, I'll just have to go check with Dave if we've got any plans. And she looked at me with this, like, this flash over her face, this expression, that she had an insight into the married life. She was single, pretty much all of her friends were single. And she was like, you've got to check with another person about what you're going to do? Ah. Oh. And for a moment, ah, oh, she's married now, so I didn't put her off. But when, you, when you're in a relationship with people, especially when you're in close relationship with people, you don't get to do what you want all the time. And that kind of sounds like a terrible thing. The world tells us that that is a terrible thing. The greatest good is to get to do what you want all the time. Have it your way, you know, and we're told that again and again, and we internalize that, that mindset, and we really idealize that life. The person who is free to do whatever they want in their way, at their timing, that is good. And so when we don't get it, we envy it. We're frustrated by the confines of whatever it is but that's not really the best life you know my aim today is to show you that getting getting what you want won't get you what you really want because if you really want to get what you actually really really want deep down you need to embrace the disciplines of service and submission oh service and submission he gave me service and submission great to preach about because he knows that I, I don't know, I did, I did offer. Because it's really good. But the the problem is that submission in particular has really been abused. The idea of it has been turned upside down and abused. And there are some tricky passages in scripture, especially Ephesians um, 5 to 6 and Colossians 3 and 4. It's got these passages that um, kind of get you back up a little bit, that talk about wives submitting to their husbands and children submitting to their um, Parents and slaves submitting to their masters, and we're like, what, how can you do it? But we forget the whole, but it actually also says the other way. Husbands, you've got to submit, serve your wives. Parents, you need to submit to the needs of your children. Masters, you should serve your slaves. Like We don't have slaves and masters in New Zealand anymore, but um, that's a crazy thing. And the key point, the key thing is in Ephesians 3.21, the thing it circles all around is submitting to one another, out of reverence for Christ. It's a mutual submission. And all of that stuff and those tricky passages have to be read in light, the whole of Scripture, in particular in Galatians 3. It says, uh, Galatians 3.28, we no longer see each other in our former state, Jew or non-Jew, rich or poor, male or female, because we're all one through our union with Jesus Christ. There is no distinction between us. And there's this crazy thing that happened where Paul can write to the churches in Colossus. Colossi and Ephesus, and say, wives, you should submit to your husbands. Slaves, you should submit to your masters. And he's not reinforcing cultural things because he's already totally bust apart the the whole way that thing worked where women were property, where children were property, that the man of the house could do with whatever he wanted. He's busted that apart. He said, actually, we are all one. There is no distinction. There is no hierarchy even between slaves and masters. He's busted that apart. So we're all on a living level playing field. But then he comes in and says, and we've got to submit to each other. And wives, that looks like, again, submitting to your husbands. But also husbands, submitting to your wives. And so we've got to read it like that. But the problem that has come when people have taken all this words about submission. it's It's like the S word, really, isn't it? And the other S word. We use it to say, you must submit to me. You, wife, you child, you slave, you must submit to me. When really, the only way that we should be talking about submission is please let me submit to you. Rather than you serve me, come on, you do what I want, you let me have my way. No, no, let me, let me serve you. Let me have your way. That is the only way that you should be thinking about submission. Other people can think about submission as it relates to them, and hopefully it'll come back to you. But you're not responsible for that. So if you want a title for today's sermon, it would be, you can tell me what to do. How many people's kids have gone, you can't tell me what to do? Yeah, actually, yeah, I can, I can, Yeah. So um, you can tell me what to do. I'm going to offer you some observations around the disciplines of service of submission. Then we're going to come to the crux of it, the real heart of the matter. And, and I'm believing that we're going to have a time of encounter with the Holy Spirit that's going to help shift something in the heart. Because I, I have no hope today that we want to come away from this going, oh yeah, I'm going to try a few different things. Because what we need is a, a change at the level of the heart. Yeah? So let me pray and then we'll get into it. Father God, we struggle with this topic. Lord, we struggle with it as individuals. Uh, We struggle with it as a church and all of the the history and the baggage of church that comes with it, the history and the baggage of of people, um, people having not been very nice to other people. But Father, I ask today that your word, your word of truth would be made known. And God, that you would shift something in our hearts. God, because we wanna live the free life, the blessed life. Father, and the way to that is to serve in the same way that you served us. God, help me to preach your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So my first point is that choosing servanthood and submission is an act of rebellion against the spiritual power of this age. Um, Dave, if I could have my buckets, please. The spiritual power of this age. What? In Ephesians 6, 12, it says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits, one, two, three. Read my hand signals. Um, I do that with my children. Does anyone ever do that? What occurs? We're ruling out. <laughs> I think maybe you have to have more than two children to adopt the military maneuvers. Back to Ephesians 6. We're not by fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We often think about the spiritual powers as like, I don't know, how do you picture that? Like big demon things? They've definitely got horns, probably tails. And they're like sitting over cities and stuff like that. That's possibly, yes, that also. But one of the greatest spiritual powers that we um, live under that affects us is the cultural forces that shape our world. Western secularism is one of the biggest spiritual powers of this age that affect us living here in New Zealand. And a big part of that is that mindset that says, me-fest, my way or the highway. There's a great quote I read from um, Richard Foster. The obsession to demand that things go the way that we want them to go is one of the greatest bondages in human society today. Often the things do go the way that we want them. We live in a world that is so um, easy compared to people, like even just go 100 years back and quite a few of your children or just travel to another part of the world. Yeah. You've got to have lots of babies because lots of them are probably going to die. You know, someone gets sick. Oh, well, can't really do much about that. But we, now we live in a world where you can control so many things. You can get what you want. And there's just so much stuff that we think we can have our way all the time. And the, the culture is teaching us that you should be able to get what you want. But life doesn't work like that, does it? No. You can to get what you want up to a certain point sometimes in life and then things happen. Maybe someone gets sick. Maybe you wanna have a baby and it doesn't happen. Maybe you just can't get the job you want. You know, it's, there's, the, the control is an illusion, yeah, and you don't have to be in relationship with, with anyone for terribly long to realize that you actually can't get what you want all the time if that relationship's gonna work. Yeah, this is marriage 101 here. This is friendship 101. You're not gonna keep any friends. But even if it did, it wouldn't make you happy. So I've got three buckets here. These three buckets represent the the important things that a person wants, like containers or silos of, of things that are of value to the human person. And over here, we've got meaning and purpose. This one over here is community, belonging. And this one over here is autonomy or my way, me doing my things. We want, we are designed, and how we work is we want all of these things. But the Western cultural mindset is all about this. It's all about self-actualization, self-realization. I'm just going to discover who I am and be that person. And people can like it or lump it. And I will just like shed friends um, if they don't go with my way. And what do I want to do with my life? And what is my calling? And how, how do I want to spend my time? And what is my hobbies? And how am I going to express myself? In fact, what is my identity? I'm not even just going to choose that. This is all what it's about. And we are just overflowing with autonomy these days. You might not feel like it, but like I said, you've got so much control over your life. You know, even the fact that you stood in front of your wardrobe this morning and thought about what you're gonna wear and could choose from a number of things, so many things, and you think that would make that easier when there's so many things to choose from? It doesn't, it doesn't make it easier, it makes it harder. But you had all these decisions, you could choose. You can choose so many things in life and our autonomy bucket is overflowing. But meaning and purpose They're looking a bit empty. Community? There's not much happening in there. Because if you're going to fill up this bucket, you've got to do it at the expense of these other two. If I want to find meaning and purpose, you know, I feel like I'm called to do something, I have to submit to things and to people to get that. I have to pour out some of that into here. And if I, this is a biggie, if I want community... If I want a place to belong, I've really got to make some sacrifices on the autonomy bucket. Yeah? If you want a place to belong, you need to belong to the people there. Ooh, it's, a bit it's a bit challenging. There are three silos, and the spiritual power of this age says it's all about your autonomy, and it is a lie. It is a lie. It's so opposed to what the Bible says. I mean, there's that, but also just, no, it's not going to make you happy because you want a bit of this, but man, meeting a purpose and community, those are the things we long for. And that's why we're living in an age where people have got so much uh, connection at their fingertips, but they're living lonely. They're living isolated. You know, you think of what are the things that plague our young people. It's disconnection. It's lack of aspiration. It's hopelessness. But we've been giving them autonomy. They must be feeling good. They can make all the choices. But to the sacrifice of those other things. Mm. Don't need to give your children that much autonomy. Mm. My kids aren't here. But choosing servanthood and submission is also a gift to your heart. It's a gift to your heart. It's not an obligation. It's not something where you're like, oh, Yes, I should do that. It's more like, oh man, I need this. Please, will you let me submit to you and serve? I need this because it is so good for me. Because every discipline has a corresponding freedom. Yeah, we don't, do, we don't do spiritual disciplines for the sake of like earning points or impressing people or I don't know, because we don't like ourselves. We do it because we want the freedoms that come with them. And service and submission bring incredible freedom to the inside, It's like you're putting yourself under um, constraints in your external world, but you find freedom on the inside. Servanthood and submission breaks the addiction to having your own way. Mm. As we are addicted to it in the West. I gotta have it my way. And this is like, hear what I'm saying, don't hear what I'm not saying. You need to distinguish. There are some major issues in life where you do need to, push on the things that you have opinions about or that you are, like I'm not saying let people walk all over you, but the thing is that most things in life are not major issues. Yeah? We live like they are. Like most of the things that you fight about with your spouse are not major issues. Whether or not he emptied the dishwasher and yes, he did this morning is not a major issue. <laughs> Sometimes we make the little things into big things, eh? But giving up your rights is actually liberating. But it's only liberating when you choose to do it. So remember what I said about how submission and servanthood have been misused by people saying, you've got to submit to me. I'm going to take your rights away. That's not liberation, is it? That's them taking your rights away. But when you say, I choose to submit to you, I choose to give you some of my rights, that brings such freedom. When you choose to say, yep, I'm going to serve, I'm going to, I'm going to be on the packing team, and I want to be there at, church at whatever, what time do you guys turn in? 7.30? You're submitting, you're giving up your Sunday morning, sleeping. But it brings real internal freedom. And I really want to encourage you, maybe there's some of you here today where you feel like you are in a period of your life where there are, oh man, like constraints all around you. You know, if you're in the season of little children, you are living under constraints in just like really practical ways. But that is a space where you can discover character formation like nothing else. And it is good. It is worthwhile. And you just keep going. Just keep going because <laughs> he's forming something. If you let him, he will form something in you that is, um, just sets you in such good stead for your future. And we just really need to question the assumptions that we have about what freedom looks like. Yeah? Question those assumptions. In Galatians 5, this is challenging. Galatians five nineteen to 21. Paul writes, it is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time, which is what this bucket is all about, trying to get your way all the time. This is the life you get. Repetitous, loveless, cheap sex. Yeah, sounds like the Western world. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Mm-hmm. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants. Does this sound like the world we're living in? Yeah. A brutal temper, sounds like me sometimes, An impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions and ugly parodies of community. That's, this kind of sounds a lot like the world we live in, doesn't it, yeah? And the scripture says that comes out of trying to get your own way all the time. We have to break it. And the way to break it, I talked about this a few weeks ago, you can't just, lots of things, you can't just try at them. Just trying doesn't work, you need to train yeah, like I can't go and say, "Yes, I'm going to go run a marathon tomorrow" and try really hard. I tried so hard, but I did not complete it because I had not trained. Yeah, there's things you got to do. There are things that you can make yourself do that flow into draw, flowing out of you things that you can't just make yourself do. And service and submission are disciplines that you can choose, you can activate your will to do That will cause humility to flow out of you. And who wants humility? Doesn't sound very attractive, but um, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace and favor to the humble. Do you remember that that amazing word that Pastor Steve preached through the magic of television last week? Who wants that kind of favor? Who does God give it to? The humble. Woo, yay. The way to be humble is to activate the disciplines of service and submission. But what is humility? Like, it's kind of hard to get our heads around. I think as Kiwis, we're kind of not very good at it. Um, As Pastor Steve talked about, that we've kind of got this self-deprecating humor and we kind of pull ourselves down a bit and pretend we're not that ambitious, but we kind of are, and just cut down all the other tall poppies. Humility is, um, Donalba calls it a healthy self-forgetfulness. You might have heard the phrase, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. yeah. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And it makes you a better person. Honestly, it does. It makes you more fun to like, just be a friend or be married to. But if you want to be a leader, you've got to know how to serve. If serving is below you, then leadership is definitely above you. And this is the issue that Jesus had with his disciples. Like They were just, they were just guys. They were quite similar to us. But he just, oh, man, he was patient. He's very patient. In Luke 9, this happens a couple of times, and he has to address it in different ways. But in Luke 9, it it writes, um, the disciples began to argue and became preoccupied about who would be the greatest one among them. I kind of mentioned actually out loud having that conversation. Like like a bunch of us being like, no, no, I think I'm going to be, I think I'm going to be the greatest. Yeah, no, I think I'm a special one. We might have that internally, but actually out loud having that conversation. Fully aware, though, of their innermost thoughts. Jesus is like, oh man, these guys, Father God, why? To address it, he calls a little child to his side and said to them, if you tenderly care for this little child on my behalf, you are tenderly caring for me. And if you care for me, you are honoring my father who sent me. For the one who is the least important in your eyes is actually the most important one of all. <coughs> Jesus redefines greatness. They were thinking about greatest, greatness, kind of like the way that we think about greatness. It's about prominence, it's about acclaim, it's about who people look up to and what platform you've got. No, not so much. There's a, there's a weakness. There's, I don't, still can't get my head around it, but there's something about serving little people that's very scriptural, that gets you on, and the kids leaders are like, yes. Yeah. Serving the weak, serving the vulnerable, the elderly, people with disabilities, there's something very profound in that that teaches you of the way of things that is so different to the cultural mindset of our day, but is so biblical. So, so biblical. And it in those ways, and when you choose to serve other people, you, you break... Pride and insecurity, yeah? Because both pride and insecurity are the opposite to humility. Wow. We often think it's just pride is opposite to humility, but insecurity is preoccupation with yourself as well, yeah? yeah? If, you, if you're proud or if you're insecure, it's really hard to serve. Wow. But when you choose to serve, it breeds humility in you, which breaks pride and insecurity. And man, living a life free of pride and insecurity, I want that, I really want that. It sounds so much more fun. I th- think I'd be so much more fun to be around. Yeah. You said "yup" yeah, too quickly. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. It's automatic response, automatic encouragement. I do appreciate the encouragement. It honestly helps. My third observation is this: choosing servanthood and submission builds authentic community. It is almost impossible to serve a person or especially to serve on a team without creating a sense of intimacy and community in that team. Authentic community, when you go, oh, what does it look like? Um, At most, perhaps characterized by mutual servanthood and submission. If you want to know if there's community, are people serving each other? Are people laying down their desires for each other? Or is it just like, we like to hang out and make jokes? Yeah, that's not real community. It was really cool to see team, team Wah in action today. Yeah, that was quite cool. That was very really cool. And Karakia was doing PowerPoint as well. I know. Very cool, guys. And that, does that not like, make you go, oh, yeah, this is what it's about. My whole family serving God. And it brings a unity into your family like, mm, nothing else. For the same reason, I make my kids do chores. For a long time, I didn't make the kids do chores because it's kind of harder for a start. You know, like teaching a kid to clean a toilet, you think it would be easy. It is not easy. And probably for the first year, you have to go along and do it again after them. But you just do it so they can't see because you don't want to undermine them. But it's hard. But eventually, actually, I went around to the Waz house once, I remember, and um, you asked Karaki to the vacuum, and she was like, yes, sure. Oh, thank you. And I and I went away, and I was like, Ruby, did you see that? I don't probably doesn't happen like that all the time. <laughs> but um, and I was like, we're gonna we're gonna be on team a bit more, because when you're in a family, you contribute. Yeah, you if you're a guest in my home, you don't have to clean the toilets. Let's <laughs> to clarify: if you are a family member in my home, you have a chore, and the chore will be age-appropriate. Tessa is not allowed to clean the toilets yet. She's just, Ida is definitely not allowed to help clean the toilets. Though she had, I have caught her playing with the toilet brush before and that is one of the more distressing moments you can never have as a parent when you walk, into the, you walk in and they've got it and you think, how long have you had that? Have you put that in your mouth? I don't even know. I'm not sure. These are the glorious moments of parenting. But as she gets older, she finds her place in the family and she's going to serve. Yeah? And it's the same way in a church family. You know, if you're a guest, you're welcome to be a guest here. But we want to be family and family contributes, family serves. Family serves through what Richard Foster calls the ministry of the towel. Oh, interesting. In John 13, Jesus loved his object lessons. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Jesus knew who he was. He was confident in his identity. Because of that, he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, there's the towel, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Now what's happening here is the disciples have had, um, they're having dinner. They're the last, was the last one? I forget. Um, And normally, when you went into someone's house, there would be um, a particular person, probably a servant, the lowest servant, whose job it was to clean their people's feet. Because everyone wore these kind of like sandal type things. And they walked around on the dusty roads where the animals had pooped. And their feet, like they might have left their house very clean, but then they had to walk to your house. When they got to your house, their feet were very dirty, and possibly a bit poopy. So they would come in, and part of it would be at the door, there was a servant who would take your sandals off, clean your feet. Okay, thank you very much. But in this moment, the, the disciples will organize this meal, and no one has planned for the servant. And they get there, and they all arrive, and they're like, oh, did you not organize a servant? I think a servant, okay. Uh, well, I'm not going to do it. Well, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do, do it. And so they all just sit down with dirty feet, and everybody is aware of it. Everybody knows But nobody is going to do something. But Jesus does. Okay, this is Jesus who, by whose very word, all of creation holds together. Takes the place of the lowest servant. And it's scandalous. It's shocking. Peter's like, you can't do that. But he does. And it goes on, verse 12. After washing their feet, he put his robe on and returned to his place at the table. Do you understand what I just did? Jesus said, you've called me your teacher and Lord, and you're right, for that's who I am. I have a place of authority, you respect that. And because of that, wow. So if I'm your teacher and Lord and have just washed your dirty feet, then you should follow the example that I've set for you and wash one another's dirty feet. Now do for each other what I have just done for you. I speak to you a timeless truth. A servant is not superior to his master, and an apostle is never greater than the one who sent him. So now put into practice what I've done for you and you will experience a life of happiness enriched with untold blessings. Sounds good, eh? Now some of you with foot phobias are concerned that I have buckets and we are also going to do a foot washing ceremony. <laughs> Just going to set you at ease, we are not doing that. Because look down at your feet. Look at your feet. Look at your neighbor's feet. Most likely everybody's wearing shoes. Yes? Not really any need for washing your feet here at Craighead School this morning. No. But look around you. What was there a need for at Craighead Auditorium this morning? Someone playing the drums. Someone's got to set out these things and these things and there the buckets, they need those. The kids, there was a need for that. There's a need I need a coffee after the service. There was a need for that. Can I put an order for a coffee, Mandy, after the service please? If Jesus was here this morning, he wouldn't put a towel on and wash his feet, wash our feet, because they're fine, hopefully. I don't know, let's not go into too much detail. But, so he wouldn't say, you know, just as I've washed your feet, you also should wash each other's feet. He would say something like, just as I have washed your coffee cup, so you should wash each other's coffee cups. Just as I have made your flat white, so you should make each other's flat whites if you have been appropriately trained and can produce a good coffee. (laughs) Just as I have set up the projector screen, so you should set up the projector screen for other people. Just as I have processed the invoices, you should process the invoices for other people. Just as I have packed the trailer, so you should pack the trailer for each other. That is what Jesus would say to us. Yeah? The opportunities that come from being in a church body to serve are valuable. They really are. I attended church for a year in Dunedin as a person who came, sat in the seat, and left straight afterwards, and I got very little out of it. Very, very little. But the next year, something shifted, and I was there, and I was serving, and man, I grew. And I found people who loved me. I found a place to belong. Yeah? You want to belong in church? You serve in church. It's actually, that's simple. Yeah, like I understand, I understand it's hard. Like I've got four kids, I've got get ready in the morning. I get it. But it is, is is a great thing. And the opportunities actually that come to us from being a pack-in and pack-out church are a gift to us as a church community. In many ways, you'd think, oh, I'd be easier if we had like a venue, you know, that we owned. It would, it'd also be a whole lot more expensive. <laughs> and the health and safety, I don't really want to think about it, plus the insurance and all that. But it is a gift to us because there are places to serve more and they make community happen. Honestly, they do. It is a gift to us. It really is. But the, opportunity, the question is whether you will take that up. And there are limitations, you know. There are limitations that we have in our lives, but there's always a place to serve somewhere. This week, I get to serve by preaching. Last week, I got to serve by looking after the little legends. Next week, I get to serve on the worship team. <laughs> it's an ongoing joke. It's never going to happen. Don't worry. <laughs> Play to your strengths. Play to your strengths. Play to your strengths. There's, some, there's a place for you to serve. And I'm not going to hand out like E-team sign-up sheets, but I would really encourage you that if you, if you feel like you're a little bit on the outside looking in, join an E-team. It will change things. It's simple as that. But like I said before, that... <laughs> Really what we want is the the place in your heart to shift because it's at the level of the heart that real change comes, that you can find yourself able to serve and submit within your family, to serve and submit to your children, to your spouse, to your colleagues. And because it has great rewards. It really does. I mean, there's the principle of sowing and reaping. You sow service and submission, it will come back to you. And so it might be a delay, but it will come back to you. There's the returns of community, a place to belong, and that is so much more valuable than getting your own way. There is freedom in your heart. When you can submit, when you can lay down the need to have it your way, to have your opinion heard, to have it done the way that is not your way, which honestly, let's be honest, it probably was the best way, but it doesn't have to be my way. This is my struggle, Casey. That brings internal freedom. It really does. It brings freedom from resentment. It brings freedom from bitterness. Just living light. It is so good. And if I think back to that time on maternity leave before Ruby was born, that blissful, halcyon days, it was great. But it was only temporary. It probably actually wasn't that great, as I remember. You know how memories are a little bit tricky and you kind of like roast into glasses. I was heavily pregnant, so it may not have been actually all good times. Um, but if it had gone on, I would have been frustrated. And it did actually drag on for quite a long time. She was a bit late. And um, I was frustrated. But I also would have got really lonely. I would have been lacking in meaning and purpose. Because like lying around in bed reading books all day is quite nice. But you don't want to do that every day. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe a few days, I can manage it for. But I don't want to do that every day. What I want, what I want is a life of happiness Enriched with untold blessings. Are you keen? Anyone want a life of happiness enriched with untold blessings? So what did he say? Um, Put into practice what I have done for you and you will experience a life of happiness enriched with untold blessings. So what does he do for us? Oh, the washing the feet thing. Okay, so that comes back to the service. It looks like serving in church, it looks like serving your family, serving in your workplace. But let's be honest, it's hard. It's hard. I'm going to have the worship team up and be good. It is, it's hard. I am by nature a very selfish person. And I know that you guys are as well. Yeah? Like if you're pretending you're not, you're pretending. Because we all have the same sinful nature within us. I really just want to do what I want and have it my way. And I'd really like to just like control things and get people to do what I want. I want this, but I also want those things. But what we need is a change in the inside, and that's not something we can do by ourselves, but it's not something we're supposed to do by ourselves. So here's this if we want to be like Jesus, with the whole foot washing thing, metaphorically, if we want to be like Jesus, we need the Spirit of Jesus. And who is the Spirit of Jesus? It's the Holy Spirit. And I want to invite you now to take some time to connect with the Holy Spirit, that He would bring about a shift in your heart. I heard it described as a Copernican revolution. Do you remember Copernicus? He was the guy who said, hey guys, I think maybe the earth is not at the center of the world, of everything. I think think instead of the sun going around us, I think we go around the sun. And everyone was like, this is blasphemy, it cannot be, we must be at the center. He got a bad rap. But we need a Copernican revolution of the self. Everything does not revolve around me. Yeah? Everything does not revolve around me. And if you try and live like it does, everything falls apart. It does. But we've got to have a shift in the inside. So why why don't you stand? I want to invite you to stand. Because as much as I've talked about how we can adopt these practices of service and submission to train ourselves into humility we've got to make sure we're doing it with the right heart because you can serve and submit out of obligation you can even serve and submit out of control and manipulation you can do it out of performance you can do it out of all the wrong we are tricky the human heart is deceitful above all else Jeremiah says who can know it but the Holy Spirit can shift something So why don't you close your eyes? Why don't you lift a hand? Just adopt an open posture before God. We're gonna pray and then we're gonna sing something and just to really connect with the Holy Spirit in this place. Oh, Father God, I ask that you would send us your Holy Spirit in this moment. Lord, we don't just wanna feel you on the outside. We wanna know you on the inside. And we need a shift. God, we are by nature selfish beings. But we want to be like you, Jesus. We want to be able to serve like you have, Jesus. And so, God, we open our heart to you in this moment. Come and do what only you can do. Jesus, have your way in us. We submit to your spirit in this place, God, that you would empower us to submit and to serve to each other.